Welcome to the Curious Podcast, where we are constantly in the process of getting to the bottom of shit. In this episode, we will be attempting to answer one of the most asked questions and possibly the single question that no living person can answer. Death has always been an uncomfortable topic for most, though that wasn't always the case. Today, most people are afraid of death and spend their days running from the idea, wishing it away. It's a bit like a sick joke we tell ourselves because we all know we're going to die, but we continue the theatre as if we'll all be here forever. This week, we're exploring near-death experiences, also known as NDEs and why scientists cannot make sense of these moments. Quote, Near-death experiences, or NDEs, are triggered during singular life-threatening episodes when the body is injured by blunt trauma, a heart attack, asphyxia, shock, and so on. About 1 in 10 patients with cardiac arrest in a hospital setting undergoes such an episode. Thousands of survivors of these harrowing touch-and-go situations tell of leaving their damaged bodies behind and encountering a realm beyond everyday existence, unconstrained by the usual boundaries of space and time. These powerful, mystical experiences can lead to permanent transformation of their lives. End quote. I took this definition from scientificamerican.com as I think it sums it up quite nicely especially that last line about people becoming permanently transformed after their experience. I watched Surviving Death on Netflix nearly two years ago, and the documentary followed and spoke to several people that experienced an NDE. One thing that seemed a constant amongst those individuals was that they saw life through a new and exciting lens afterwards. It's almost as if they know something the rest of us just don't, and they become laser-focused on living their lives to the fullest, whatever that looks like to them. This behaviour is usually known as the after-effects of a near-death experience, and lasts years later, sometimes becoming even stronger. These people's perspectives and attitudes towards life changes so much that their loved ones and those around them feel like they are a completely different person following the experience. That definitely piqued my interest because people have close encounters with death all the time. It shakes them up a bit, they feel grateful for all of 8 seconds and then they forget and get back to hating life. These individuals in particular actually died and I think this is firstly what separates them from all other quote near-death experiences. The typical near-death experience for a normal person is almost dying but still being aware, alive, and awake, then it's over. Most people have gone through that. I myself almost died, but didn't have an NDE experience because I didn't actually die. Your body needs to officially shut down for a real NDE to happen. When you die, your heart stops beating, therefore blood and oxygen don't get to the brain. Most people don't come back from that, they just die. However, Some people do end up coming back, and when they do, they are never the same again. In 1999, I arranged to go to Chile and kayak. 
and I was looking forward to this section of river that's well known for its waterfalls. We put on the river and we went over the first couple of drops. This river has a very high flow. So we decided to run this smaller part of the first major waterfall. And so I pulled out in the current. There was another kayaker who had sort of bobbled her way past and her boat was lodged sideways at the entrance. So I was forced over to the main part of the waterfall. I mean, I, I knew it was not gonna be good. <laughs> became pinned, and I was completely submerged under 10 feet of water. I was not breathing. My torso was absolutely plastered to the front deck of the boat. I could feel my bones breaking. I thought I should be screaming, but I wasn't. I felt uh, no pain, no fear, no panic. I felt more alive than I've ever felt. I could feel my spirit sort of peeling away from my body, and my spirit was then released up to the heavens. I was immediately greeted by a group of somethings. I don't know what to call them. People, spirits, beings. I didn't recognize any of them, but they had been important in my life story somehow like a grandparent who died before I was born. They were so overjoyed to welcome me and greet me and love me. These beings started taking me down this pathway. The pathway was very thickly covered with hundreds of thousands of flowers and the aromas of flowers. It was exploding with every color of the universe. There was an absolute shift of time and dimension. I experienced all of eternity in every second, and every second expanded into all of eternity. The pathway went to this great dome structure I believe I was in heaven, God's world, whatever you want to call it. I had an overwhelming sense of being home. At the same time, I could look back at the river where my body was still submerged underwater. The group of kayakers kept trying to get to me, but they were never able to do it. And after maybe 15 minutes, they had given up rescue. They had really shifted over into a body recovery mode. <laughs> 
one of the guys saw my life jacket pop up downstream and thought that maybe my husband would want it. As he got that, he felt my body hit his leg. So he reached underwater and was able to grab my wrist. My body was bloated and purple, and I had fixed eyes. There's absolutely no doubt in my own mind that I was physically dead. But I watched from the entrance to the dome structure as they started CPR, and I could still hear them. One of the guys kept calling to me to come back and take a breath. No, please come back. I know you're still here. I had been without oxygen for 30 minutes, and the statistical likelihood of my survival should have been zero. I did not want to go back down to my body. I had a very, very physical sensation of being held and comforted and reassured that everything was fine. But the beings told me that it wasn't my time, that I had more work to do on Earth, and that I had to go back to my body. When I opened my eyes, the guys that resuscitated me were stunned. I was in terrible shape. I mean, I had just drowned. But I also had uh, multiple broken bones and torn ligaments in my legs. And I was on the side of a river in the middle of nowhere. The guys who resuscitated me put my body on top of a boat and then began to try to get me up the hillside. We emerged onto a dirt road. They thought maybe someone would run and get a tractor, a horse or something. But when we emerged onto the dirt road, exactly there was an ambulance, which in 1999 in southern Chile, it didn't exist. <laughs> it was inexplicable. It took a number of hours, but my friends got me to the hospital. My husband was actually told that I probably would not survive the night. But I did. I was in the hospital for more than a month. I had several operations then many, many months of rehab before I could walk again. And statistically, I had zero likelihood of surviving without significant brain damage. But I never actually had any brain damage. My, my kids might, might say something differently, but I made a complete recovery. As a physician, I'm not really in a crowd of people who want to talk about things like near-death experiences. People in science often think you can't possibly believe in anything supernatural. When I went off to medical school, I would have defined death as death, meaning physical death. But my near-death experience, and then what happened to my son 10 years later, changed my definition of death significantly. I don't believe that we know everything. <laughs> 
That was one person's vivid memory of an NDE they had. It may seem rather far-fetched to some, but it's quite a moving story, even if you've never experienced anything similar. It also adds a sense of hope to people who wonder and worry about what happens after death. I was quite surprised watching this series to find that people who experienced an NDE spoke about death in a positive light, which isn't a common thing in our society. The series also follows people who have lost a loved one and are certain they are being given signs that the person is okay or their loved one that has passed away is trying to contact them, giving them messages of some sorts. This adds to the theory that people who have died have only passed onto another plane but can still make contact with loved ones. I think more people need to discover that all is not lost at death and even though people die, they do not disappear into thin air. Their souls live on, but that's a completely different area on this topic. NDEs are quite exceptional due to the differing things reported. There isn't just one kind of experience. The state of a person's mind at the time may also influence what they see, feel, and hear during those moments. Most reported and shared NDEs are known to be blissful and profound experiences as these are the kinds of stories that are usually center stage. It isn't surprising that people would associate the entire NDE experience to these anecdotes. However, you may be surprised to know that some people have horrible NDEs. We'll look at some of those experiences later on in the episode. What exactly happens in a near-death experience? NDEs tend to follow a pattern or theme. This involves an out-of-body experience in which the person is aware they have been separated from their body. During this out-of-body experience, many people can describe everything happening to their body in detail. This is usually when they are reported dead, comatose, or under anesthesia. They are able to describe things that would be impossible for them to know, such as the conversations of people around their body, what people were doing, wearing and so on. There is also a common theme of travelling to a place, a bright light at the end of some sort of tunnel, and a feeling that you have arrived home or returned. These are the most common tropes that confirm whether someone has indeed had a near-death experience. Jeffrey Long, MD, is a radiation oncologist in Louisiana and a recognised world expert on near-death experiences. He established the non-profit Near Death Experience Research Foundation and a website forum for people to share NDEs. In 2014, he published a medical paper stating evidence for NDEs being real. Quote, Lucid, organised experiences, while unconscious, comatose, or clinically dead, near-death experiences occur at a time when the person is so physically compromised that they are typically unconscious comatose or clinically dead. Considering NDEs from both a medical perspective and logically, it should not be possible for unconscious people to often report highly lucid experiences that are clear and logically structured. Most NDEers, I can't say that, <laughs> most NDEers report supernormal consciousness at the time of their NDEs. The NDE forum survey asked, how did your highest level of consciousness 
and alertness during the experience compare to your normal everyday consciousness and alertness. Of 1,122 people surveyed, 835, basically 74.4%, indicated they had more consciousness and alertness than normal. The survey also asks if your highest level of consciousness and alertness during the experience was different from your normal everyday consciousness and alertness, please explain. In response to this question, people commonly reported that consciousness during their experiences was clear, more aware, and often associated with heightened awareness. End quote. In the paper, he basically lists up to nine lines of evidence to reinforce that these experiences are really happening. The link to the paper is in the source material and I suggest you guys all go read it because he did quite a few studies and the findings really make you think more about life and what we have actually been taught about death. Also, when people recount what happened, the majority explain travelling somewhere through some sort of tunnel. This is quite similar to descriptions given by DMT users after having a trip. I covered DMT in a previous episode and came across some interesting theories and personal stories of people that wanted to share their experience. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to episode 14 after you finish listening to this one. DMT, short for N-dimethyltryptamine, is naturally produced by the human body at birth and death. It has also been synthesized in a lab and this synthesized version is classed as a hallucinogenic drug. People consume DMT as a recreational psychedelic drug and it is also prepared in spiritual ceremonies. It is no coincidence then that many who have consumed DMT have strong similarities in what they report seeing and experiencing to those people who have had near-death experiences. The research into this area is still quite premature and most likely unexplored to some extent, but there aren't any solid confirmations from a scientific or medical standpoint to prove if DMT was naturally produced in the bodies of people that had genuine NDEs. It would be very fascinating actually to find out if they did produce DMT in their brains whilst having the near-death experience. However, Some neuroscientists have explored whether NDEs are basically the same as a psychedelic trip. Quote, Likening NDEs to trips is actually a reasonable comparison. A highly cited 2018 study provided participants with low doses of the hallucinogenic N-dimethyltryptamine in a controlled setting, then asked them to describe their experience. Their descriptions were uncannily similar to collected descriptions of NDEs. We are now learning that there is a good reason for that. It turns out that DMT is widely present in the mammalian brain. In 2019, researchers at the University of Michigan not only found the compound in various locations in rat brains, but they also discovered neurons with the two enzymes required to make it. Moreover, the neurons seem to produce DMT at levels comparable to those of other key neurotransmitters like dopamine, which drives pleasure, and serotonin, which stabilizes mood. DMT has also been found in small amounts in human brain tissue and larger amounts in cerebrospinal fluid. 
a clear fluid that surrounds the brain and spinal cord. Is it possible that DMT floods the human brain at death, causing vivid dreams and NDEs? The University of Michigan researchers witnessed this happen in rats. They directly measured brain levels of DMT as rats suffered cardiac arrest and saw the substance spike up to 10 times above baseline levels, enough to trigger psychedelic effects. If a similar increase also occurs in humans, it might just account for NDEs and vivid dreaming near death, but a larger dose might be necessary in alert, healthy subjects. End quote. One of the lead scientists, Jimmo Boyugin, also went on to say that much smaller doses of DMT is probably required for a near-death experience or an actual death because the brain is not expending enough energy on other things like walking, for example. In comparison, someone that wants to take a DMT trip needs to take a few hits because their brain is burning energy on other things like being alive and thinking about stuff and moving their eyeballs around and shit. That actually makes sense because I attempted to try DMT about two months ago. I say attempted because I completely flopped and choked on the smoke. That rhymes. I was not prepared at all for the taste of it and the sensation and I should have been I guess maybe because I actually did a whole episode on it and have researched and watched all these videos and people do speak about that weird smoke and how it feels in your throat. I just keep rhyming today don't I? But nothing compares to when you're trying something yourself for the first time. If you want to actually break through the DMT wall so to speak you need to inhale the smoke for as long as you can and then almost hold your breath for like 30 seconds to a minute. As I was completely thrown off plus nervous and excited to try it, I couldn't hold the smoke in, so unfortunately I didn't trip on DMT this time. Interestingly enough, just before or after I coughed the smoke out, I had my eyes closed and I could see all these geometric patterns moving around super fast in my head. I opened my eyes in shock, which was dumb, and then closed my eyes again, but then it slowly faded away. I was later told that I almost broke through, as what I described seemed to be a waiting area that others have experienced before fully breaking through. So I was kind of pissed off. However, as disappointed as I was at the time, I will be trying again in the next month or so, and I would definitely report back as I'm interested in documenting the experience. But back to the study linking the similarities between taking DMT and having an actual NDE. It's interesting that just a small hit of brain-produced DMT could likely make our final minutes on Earth a psychedelic adventure. You can also read further into that and say that the brain creates this experience to help you cope with death and moving on to the next phase because when you know you're about to die, it's fucking terrifying for your brain to fathom, especially when you think about all the negative connotations we attribute with death. Now we're going to read about some near-death experiences that went bad. These have been dubbed by some scientists as DNDE, which stands for Distressing Near-Death Experiences. There isn't as much research or information surrounding these more negative experiences and one of the reasons is because people are less likely to report experiences like this 
for fear of being judged. Surprisingly, the Daily Beast covered some of these experiences in 2013, before they started producing garbage content, of course. Quote, In March 1992, Matthew Botsford walked out of a restaurant in Atlanta and found himself in the middle of a gun battle. He was struck in the back of the head with a 9mm bullet. Before he knew it, he had died and gone to hell. I felt a hot needle-like pierce, excruciatingly painful, for a brief moment on the top of my head, Botsford wrote in A Day in Hell, an account of what he experienced in the underworld during the 27-day coma that followed the shooting. Utter darkness enveloped me as if thick black ink had been poured over my eyes. He later described being hung over an abyss as heat blasted up from below. Pairs of demonic eyes crept toward him before a divine entity grabbed him by the waist and said, it's not your time, end quote. Upon reading and watching other people's near-death experiences, there's always a moment they are consciously aware of themselves leaving the world of the living. Matthew wrote a book after his scary NDE, and you can actually read some of the chapters on Google Books, which was a nice surprise, but you can quickly tell that Matthew is a strong Christian because there is a lot of reference to Bible verses, God and the devil in this book. This actually ties in perfectly with the point I wanted to make discussing this type of NDE. Thoughts and feelings are extremely strong. You often hear people say that you can manifest anything if you put enough energy towards it, and I think Matthew may have done this when he experienced being in hell. He may have been so influenced by his strong sense of faith but this could also be just one of many contributing factors such as the brutal way in which he was attacked. Overall, it does seem that state of mind does have some sort of influence on your reality. Like a good or bad psychedelic trip can mostly be determined by what kind of mindset or attitude you have to life. The next NDE is kind of strange, so I just have to pre-warn you guys, but this podcast is strange, so it is on brand. Quote, in 1943, during World War II, George Ritchie was pronounced dead at an army hospital only to wake up nine minutes later. Ritchie went on to become a psychiatrist and write several books about those nine minutes, in which he claimed to tour the devastation of hell in the company of Jesus Christ. Everywhere spirits were locked in what looked like fights to the death, writhing, punching, gouging, he wrote, in Return from Tomorrow, originally published in 1978. Even more hideous than the bites and kicks they exchanged were the sexual abuses many were performing in feverish pantomime. Perversions I had never dreamed of were being vainly attempted all around us. End quote. This guy honestly seemed like he was kind of messed up because of what he reported seeing. That's my analysis as an armchair psychologist. The mention of Jesus and demons feels like there is a lot of religious influence again. Maybe his subconscious and his fears seem to be coming to life into these horrible things he was witnessing. If I had visions like that, I would definitely feel that all was not well with my mental health. And that's not shaming mental health. It's, it's simply based on the theory of your mind creating and bringing to life that which you give energy to which can be good or bad. 
just like in everyday life when you feel that you've manifested something. Lastly, we will look at the distressing near-death experience of an atheist professor, which I had to share with you guys, as it's slightly different from the last two people's experiences, but also share some parallels with a classic NDE. Quote, in 2005, college professor and lifelong devout atheist Howard Storm was on an excursion to Europe with some of his art students when he suffered a perforated stomach. He was told by doctors that he required immediate surgery to save his life. But as he waited for an operation, he felt himself slipping away, fading to the point that he even said his last goodbyes to his wife. As he began to drift out of consciousness, he reported that he suddenly found himself standing next to his own body, and he noticed that his stomach pain was gone. Attempts to call out to his wife failed, as she seemed to not even notice he was there. Before Storm even had a chance to fully adjust to the bizarreness of seeing his own body in the hospital bed, he was startled by strange voices calling out to him, which said, Come with us, we've been waiting for you. Looking around, Storm saw that the source of the voices was a group of indistinct, shadowy figures congregating around the door to the hospital room. In a daze, he went to follow them, as he had been asked to do. But when they left the room, they emerged into a dark, thick fog that seemed to lead into a tunnel of some sort. The figure he was with seemed friendly enough at this point, and playfully chided him to keep up as they pushed on down the misty tunnel. As they got deeper into the tunnel, and the darkness got more profound, the figures began to change their tone to a more ominous demeanour. They gradually went from playful to decidedly more aggressive as they started pushing him and tripping him up on purpose. This slowly graduated to increasingly violent shoves, and even the figures' voices becoming more guttural and demanding, their chiding turning into harsh insults and disdain. The increasingly spooked Storm decided he did not like where this was headed and told the figures he wanted to go back. This request sent the shadowy wraiths into a fury. They began to attack him in earnest as they spewed venomous obscenities at him. Storm would say of the encounter, we had a big fight and the fight turned into them annihilating me which they did slowly and with much relish. Mostly, they were biting and tearing at me. This went on for a long time. They did other things to humiliate and violate me, which I don't talk about. Although he was a strict atheist, Storm claims that as he collapsed under the relentless attack, he began to desperately pray, which made the creatures even angrier and prompted them to shriek with rage, there is no God. Nevertheless, Storm prayed over and over again as he cowered on the ground, which he says culminated in him suddenly being pulled away from the assault and whisked off back into his own body. Storm was badly shaken by the experience and would go on to write extensively on it in his book, My Descent Into Death, end quote. I do love how a lot of people seem to be inspired after their NDEs, whether it's a good or bad one. They go on to do productive things in their lives and share their experiences with others almost as if it is their duty to do so. Many people are drawn to these stories as it offers comfort or a sense of relief that there is something after life. Even those that experience the quote, 
bad NDEs are eternally changed for the better too. It seems that everyone who has died and lived to tell the tale went through some kind of transformation on the other side. Jeffrey Long also discusses this striking change in his medical paper about NDEs. Quote, Changes in beliefs and values following NDEs are often called after-effects, given that a life-threatening event without an NDE might result in life changes, some of the best evidence for NDE-specific after-effects came from the largest prospective NDE study ever reported. This study by Pim Van Lommel, MD, divided survivors of cardiac arrest into a group that had NDEs and a group that did not. The after-effects of both groups were assessed two and eight years after the cardiac arrests. The group of cardiac arrest survivors with NDEs were statistically more likely to have a reduced fear of death, increased belief in life after death, interest in the meaning of life, acceptance of others, and were more loving and empathic. It might take years after NDEs for the after-effects to fully manifest. The after-effects may be so substantial that people may seem to be very different to their loved ones and family. The consistency, intensity and durability of NDE after-effects is consistent with the NDE's typical personal assessments that their experiences were very meaningful and significant. It is remarkable that NDEs often occur during only minutes of unconsciousness, yet commonly result in substantial and lifelong transformations of beliefs and values. End quote. Near-death experiences are so mysterious, and I think that's why a lot of us find it so mystical. It really gives us an insight into the afterlife or higher plane, which isn't so separate from our normal everyday lives. It's a lot more connected, and NDEs prove that. So what do you guys think about NDEs? Do you think they're real, or... Is it all in people's heads? If you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to check out the website which launched in January. It's still coming together, but it's super interesting. And we have a world page with super creepy videos. I call it my mysterious conspiracy world star. It's literally like world star and I'm compiling it with loads of freaky, unexplainable and also insightful videos. So check out that, check out the posts as well, which are going to be written for every single podcast episode with just added details and explanations. And there will soon be a new page with a paywall because some of the things I'm going to be writing about are very controversial and I don't want authorities knocking on my door. So be sure to check out the website. It's in the source description. It's very easy to find. It's thecuriouspodcast.blog. Thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. If you're into the strange, morbid, or curious, I'll see you in the next episode. Stay safe. Stay curious. For real.